the curiosity of a child yeah welcome back to episode 12 yeah do you think we'd reach this far um no not really yeah it's pretty good isn't it yeah um so you're not feeling 100 percent though today are you Mm-mm. you'll be glad to hear i don't have coronavirus but um i got a bit of a sore throat and a bit of a wrong news yeah you do um, so, you're not doing your own feature this time, so we'll just go into my feature, shall we? Yeah. Okay, so, um, actually it's topical, because I'm going to be talking about viruses. Okay, so on with the show. On with the show. Hey, the other day, when I was checking Twitter, I noticed a tweet that had gone viral. That was written by an Icelandic professor called Pali Thordeson, and it contained a thread about how soap compacts and destroys viruses such as coronavirus. Now Pally is the deputy head of chemistry at the University of New South Wales in Australia. So it seems that he's attracted to living on large islands. As your dad, you know, I'm always telling you, wash your hands before meal times and you know you come in from outside, wash your hands, blow your nose, all that kind of stuff, yeah? Doing uh, a lot more of that recently. I have been, and to be fair to you, you're not actually that bad. You, you generally do it without a fuss. So, do you know what viruses are? Um... <laughs> Not really. No, okay. Um, well, I'll cover what they are, but I'm going to start with a quote. And this is from Sir Frank Mafarlane Burnett. And he went on to win the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine in 1960. When a new phenomenon like virus multiplication comes to be studied, Almost all the knowledge of cellular chemistry and function gained from other types of study turns out to be irrelevant. A virus is not an individual organism in the ordinary sense of the term, but something which could almost be called a stream of biological pattern. The pattern is carried from cell to cell by the relatively inert virus particles, but it takes on a new borrowed life form from its host at each infection. So what he's kind of saying there, it's not a regular life form, okay? It's a little bit different, but it's still biological. It's still kind of a natural thing, like an animal or a plant, yeah? So when do you think scientists first discovered that viruses exist, roughly? Mm. I think it's a long time ago or quite recently? Um, I think like 1800s, maybe 1700s. A lot of things were, or maybe Victorian period. <laughs> Let's have a look. Well, there was a Russian botanist called Dmitry Ivansky, and he discovered them in 19... No, he didn't, not 19, in 1892. There's a picture of him now with his uh, nice facial hair. <laughs> yeah. So do you know what a botanist is? Um, uh, we've played a few board games with them in. Um, is it like um, a plant person or someone who discovers plants and stuff that's right yeah so it's a scientist who studies plants um so obviously he would be looking through microscopes and things at the time for what he was doing and then he, he happened to discover viruses well they didn't really know what they were at the time so let's find out kind of the story of what he did so he was trying to understand what was causing a disease that was infecting tobacco plants so he got some sap from one of the infected plants and he ran it through a really fine um, filter. <laughs> and then the holes were so small that they'd trap any bacteria. So like my life straw. But what he discovered was the sap still remained infectious to healthy plants, even after being filtered. So this means that there must be something even smaller in the sap that's carrying the infection. 
And here is an... <coughs> Sorry. Yes, okay. And here is an electron micrograph of the rod-shaped particles of the Tabato mosaic virus. Uh, that they're too small to be seen using a light microscope like we have. Ivanovsky thought that perhaps a toxin was being released by the bacteria, and that was what had managed to pass through the filter. But then other scientists continued to build on his work. In 1898, a Dutch microbiologist called uh, Martinus Bajenrik, Bajenrik, I don't know, I can't say my Dutch names, now, he actually observed the behaviour of a virus for the first time. Um, but it took many more years of people studying them to get a good understanding. So this is right at the kind of beginning of this type of science. So what I'm saying is that they're really incredibly small and we've not actually been studying them for that long. Um, so it means that we don't actually know that much about them yet still. And uh, because there's so many viruses out there, when we come across a new one, um, we've got to try and understand it. They're also very odd. Do you think viruses are dead or alive? I think they are... Is there an in-between? Maybe. <laughs> I think there's going to be an in-between. You're saying there may be a bit in-between then? Yeah. Deadish, alive-ish. Okay, let's find out. So, um, how do we determine if something is living? Um, if they're breathing. We are going to have to go in to the shrinker craft. We're going to have to go really, 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 really small. So even smaller than a microscope can see, okay? So are you ready to strap yourself in? Yeah. Yeah, put your seatbelt on. Click. This is how small we're going to go. So this big circle here is a human hair. And the, the tiny dots are viruses. So how much smaller would you say they are than a human hair? Mm, about a hundred times. Yeah, they're way smaller. Ready? Let's shrink down, okay? <laughs> So there's seven criteria to determine if something is living. Now number one, living things must maintain homeostasis. So you do not know what that is. Um, basically it means that they can keep it in balance with their environment. So they're able to control kind of their internal temperature and their contents and things. Viruses are not actually made of cells. They're much more simple than that, so easily damaged. And they have a shell made of proteins called a capsid. But more on that later when we talk about safe. Now most cells have a nuclei, which is kind of like their brain, um, or the control centre, and other complex structures inside them that help them sense their environment and do different things, uh, but viruses don't have that. Together, this means that they don't really have control of themselves and their environment, so they can't control or regulate their temperature and they can't really react in a normal manner to their environments. Number two, living things have different levels of organisation. So, what this means, they're kind of made out of all different sized building blocks. So you have kind of your uh, your amino acids, your DNA, your cells, um, and then the cells will make up different things like organs and viruses kind of have that as well, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're past that one. So no to the first one, yes to the second one. Now living things reproduce. Now do you think viruses can reproduce? Um, yeah. Yeah, but they didn't do it in the normal way. So viruses sort of pass this test. Alone, they can't actually reproduce because they don't have everything inside them that they need to do that. Uh, so when you're infected with a virus, uh, they enter cells inside your body and hijack them. So they take control of them because the virus itself has got some RNA in or DNA in mm -hmm. and kind of injects that into the cell. And then it will then 
uh, kind of run the cell like a factory to create more copies of itself. And sometimes when they get so full, the cell itself will explode yeah. and send out all the viruses everywhere to at infect more cells. At school, we um, watched a video on how um, DNA was maze and stuff. And then it was, they actually did do like this demonstration of a mini factory thing. Um, so it's like um, the virus is taking over that. Exactly, then, yeah. Yeah. It's um, sent its own kind of instructions of what to build inside the cell. A virus, as well as using the cell to create copies of itself, it can actually kind of combine themselves with the DNA of the cell. When the cell itself replicates, it then copies the virus's DNA with it. So it's sort of like a more dormant kind of stage that it can do. And then when they feel the time is right, they then go back to their normal mode and actually take over the cell again and get it to produce lots of copies of the virus. So, do you think they can reproduce? Yeah, maybe not in the regular way, but they still can. Yeah. Living things grow, number four. Do viruses grow? No. That's right, they don't eat. They're created fully formed and they do not have to grow. Um, number five, living things use energy. So a virus itself doesn't actually need to use energy to survive. Um, because when it's reproducing or doing things, it's using the cells of another organism. So it's using their energy. So they're strange, aren't they? At the yeah. moment. Six. Living things respond to stimuli. Do you know what that means? No. They will respond to um, things that happen to them, such as if I poke you. Ow. Or if I was to shine a bright light in your eyes, you would blink, wouldn't you? Or you'd turn away. As viruses are very simple structures, they don't contain many of the things that make up cells. So they don't respond to light or touch mm -hmm. or different things. So. Um, do you remember some of the tiny creatures that we saw under the microscope when they had that little red dot? The light-sensitive kind of organ that they had? Yeah, so viruses don't have any of that. But then they might, because we don't know that much about them, they might respond to other uh, kind of interactions or stimuli. So it's probably a no there. So number seven, this is the final one. Living things adapt to their environment. Do you think cells can adapt? Um, do you think viruses can adapt? Um, yeah. Yeah, so as mentioned in point three, they can either hide in a cell or hijack it based on the conditions that they're in. And a virus, they also mutate, and so they can change to be better to their environment. So you can kind of say, yeah, they, they can adapt to their environment, because that's how um, viruses can spread or jump between different species, because they can adapt to that species. So do you think viruses are dead or alive? In the middle still. In the middle, yeah? Yeah. Well, the general consensus is that they're probably not alive. But they are on that kind of weird barrier, aren't they? Yeah. Which is an odd thing to think about, that there's a thing out there which shows some signs of life, but not all of them. When I was researching this at first, it seemed like many of the behaviours that we just covered were intelligent. Um, but the more I've thought about it, the more it feels to me a bit like computer code. Mm -hmm. like it's instructions that are just being run. So I write code at work, as you know. Um, so when I've written at the computer, then follows my instructions and does what it needs to. Yeah. So for me, that's kind of how I'm thinking of viruses. They're almost like tiny little machines that have instructions and then they can give those instructions to inside cells. Now one of the strange things about viruses is if you've got all the required blocks to build them, they will actually self-assemble. So imagine having a bunch of Lego bricks, mm -hmm. put them together in a pot and they built themselves into the model. That's kind of what a virus can do. So we don't know exactly how this works, 
but it's one way that they can reproduce. So when they hijack a cell, they make it produce all the different building blocks it requires and somehow they just come together, mm -hmm. which is really weird. So now you know a little bit about viruses, don't you? Mm -hmm. But how do we stop them? Washing our hands? Yeah. Uh, so do you remember in episode four when we chatted about vaccines? And do you, do you remember how they worked? Um, you inject a little bit or have a little bit put into you so you can get immune to that. Oh. Yeah, that's right. So it's like a, a dead or weakened version of the virus. It's injected in your body's natural defences will um, learn how to fight it. So if you get a rare infection, they can fight it off, can't they? Mm -hmm. But developing vaccines is very expensive and complex and a very time-consuming process. Mm -hmm. And we don't have vaccines for lots of different viruses, but that's not too serious, really. We saw our body does an amazing job at fighting them off. But occasionally, a new virus comes along, such as coronavirus, mm -hmm. um, which obviously you've heard a lot about recently. Yeah. Um, and... It's a bit scarier than some of the other ones, so and we've got no vaccine for it. And then trying to produce one is it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Really complex science that people have to do, and it has to be properly tested. Well, there's an even more effective way to combat them, as you've already said, and that's to destroy it from the night soap and washing your hands. This all started with a tweet that I read, remember, by um, Pally Thordeson. And uh, here's a quote from him. I'm not quite sure how you do an Icelandic... Aussie accent, but here goes. When I shared the information using Twitter, it went viral. I think I've worked out why. Health authorities have been giving us two messages. Once you have a virus, there are no drugs that can kill it or help you get rid of it. But also, wash your hands to stop the virus spreading. That seems very odd. You can't for even a million dollars get a drug for the coronavirus, but your grandmother's bar of soap kills the virus. So how does this work? Now our skin is a good home for viruses um, because it's full of proteins and fatty acids. So when you touch another surface that maybe someone sneezed on, the virus particles will stick to your skin. But our skin's a good barrier and it stops the virus from entering into our body. Mm -hmm. But we've got lots of holes in our body, haven't we? Yeah. So can you name a few holes in our body? Um, <laughs> okay. Nostrils, mouth. Uh, ears, um, eyes, eyes, bum hole. Yeah. And um, can I say the scientific name, please? Go on then. Penis. Yes. Throw <laughs> out my kids section anymore. Um. So, yeah. So you've got lots of holes all over your face, haven't you? Mm -hmm. And then most people touch their face every two to five minutes. Um. So I'm going to show you a video now of a health official. Um, giving critical advice to people about coronavirus. So you ready? Mm -hmm. Today, start working on not touching your face because one main way viruses spread is when you touch your own mouth, nose, or eyes. And to understand who she might have exposed while contagious. She's now licked her finger. Exactly. To change her. So let's fly the shrinko craft close to that influenza virus over there. And spray it with some soap. Yeah. <laughs> nice illustrations. Thank you. Okay, so position us next to the virus. I've got the cannons ready. Yeah. Now I want you to aim at the lip tip envelope. And fire. Excellent. Now can you already see it falling apart? Yeah. So do you know how this happens? No. 
Okay, do you want to find out? Yeah. Okay, great. Ooh, pardon me. No. <laughs> now, most viruses have an outer shell called a liptid. This shell is fatty and it's dissolved by soap and the virus will literally fall apart. So you, you know when you're washing the dishes or something? Yeah, when I wash them. Oh, yeah, dishes. you know when I'm washing the dishes or something? Yeah. Um, the very liquid, mm -hmm. whatever you're using, other brands exist, um, <laughs> is going to work in the same manner because basically they're destroying fat and grease, aren't they? Yeah. On the plates and things. Yeah. Now, soap's really effective because it contains amphiphiles. Now, do you know what they are? Nope. Okay, they are really clever molecules because they've got a split personality. One side is hydrophilic, and that means it loves water, and the other side is hydrophobic which means it hates water. Yeah. So, um, what do you wash your hands with? Soap and? Water. Exactly. So what that means is that one end of the um, amphiphile is going to be attracted to the dirt or the grease mm -hmm. and it's going to try and uh, attach itself to it. Yeah. And the other end is going to be attracted to the water molecules. It's going to try and attach itself to that. So imagine kind of a bit of Velcro or something. And then it gets pulled off. Exactly, yeah. So it actually pulls it apart, which is really clever, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Low battery. Now, our shrinky craft is running low on power. So uh, let's return to normal size, shall we? And I think we better wash our hands. Mm -hmm. So how do you do it properly? Um, you do, like the palms of your hands and everything then you go in between your fingers and the back and then uh, what I like to do is um, um, just twist your hands and your thumb and then... Um, okay, so this is a chart here of the areas most often missed during hand washing. So where do people usually miss? Um, thumbs? Mm-hmm, particularly the back. Tips of fingers. Yeah, and the back of... what's that, your ring finger? Yeah. Don't miss those thumbs and those fingertips. Things are sticking in your mouth. Or up your nose. Then in your mouth. Or looking to um, change your page on your notes. Exactly, yes. Now I've got a map in a minute. I'm not going to reveal it right now. And it's of the countries and um, the percentage of people that wash their hands after going to the toilet. Yeah. So who do you think's good and bad in Europe? Um, Britain are very cleanly. I think... Italy, France and Spain are going to be um, worse. Well, let's see, shall we? Italy, only 57% of people wash their hands after going to the toilet. Yep. Uh, the Netherlands here, only 50%. <laughs> France, yeah, 62. The UK, 75. Turkey down here, 94. That's good. I think this is Bosnia-Herzegovina here. 96% of people, very cleanly there. Any surprises for you? Um... Let's check. I am surprised that most of the things um, on the left-hand side of the, um, the west. map... Yeah, the west. Are worse. Although there is one on the very far... What's that one? Portugal. 85%, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you wash your hands after going to the toilet? Mostly. Mostly. So sometimes you're part of that 25% of British people who uh, don't wash their hands. Yeah. Now, how long should you wash your hands for? 20 seconds. Yeah, or two happy birthdays, isn't it? Yeah. So there's actually an, an app, apparently, which you can get, which rather than playing happy birthday or singing it to yourself, it will play any song you want for the right length of time. Yeah. So I don't think it's very good, though, because what are people going to do? They're going to go to the toilet with their corona fingers. Then they'll touch the play button. They'll 
Yeah, wash their hands. Yeah. And then with their clean hands, they touch their corona phone. Yeah. And why why do people need, oh, I've got to put my favourite song on for 20 seconds. Ah." I don't get it. So now you know about viruses. Mm -hmm. Do you think you know a little bit more about them? Yeah. And how SAPE works against them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So what's the future hold, do you reckon? Um, either death and destruction, or... <laughs> Just like our future or predictions. immortal turkey. Oh, yeah, okay. So I was just imagining a big immortal turkey there at Christmas time, oh. stomping people's houses. Uh, maybe, hopefully, it will even bring people closer together, except for those in social isolation. Yep. Um, <laughs> Uh, as globally we share a common problem and realise that we are all just one people on the planet, yeah? Yeah. I don't think that will happen, but hopefully a little bit. Hopefully some people will see that. <laughs> it's not the first time, and it won't be the last time, that a virus is going to cause fear and panic and death. Your prediction was death and doom. Or immortal turkeys. Let's concentrate on the death and doom bit for a moment. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's one theory... That as the permafrost melts, that's all the uh, ice caps, yeah. as it melts due to global warming, uh, different viruses and bacteria that have been frozen for thousands or tens of thousands of years will be released, mm-hmm. which we don't have any immunity to. So in 2005, NASA scientists successfully revived a bacteria that had been frozen in an Alaskan pond for 32,000 years. And it was still alive. Yeah. And then two years later... Another team revived a 8 million year old bacterium. <laughs> there could be anything out there under the ice. Now I've got another quote here. We, 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 bonjour. What language am I going to do? Italian! <laughs> Italian, excuse me. It wasn't bonjour, no. Permafrost is a very good preserver of microbes and viruses because it is cold, there is no oxygen, and it is dark, says evolutionary biologist. Jean-Michel Clavert. Pathogenic viruses that can affect humans or animals might be preserved in old permafrost layers, including some that have caused global epidemics in the past. Luckily for us, however, most viruses are rapidly inactivated outside host cells due to light, desiccation or spontaneous biochemical degradation. The best advice, though, is to be aware of what's going on and don't panic. Wash your hands properly. And if you do get infected, remember your body is amazing. We've been fighting viruses for, well, forever, haven't we? Yeah, like you were telling me um, before, it might have been you, it might have been at school, I can't remember now, it's quite a long time ago. If you had a cold in like um, medieval times, you would die from it because you wouldn't have like immunity to it. Uh, there could be a chance. Yeah, yep. that must have been. Um, yeah, we've got the influenza vaccine now. So every year, vulnerable people will get the vaccine for that. Yeah. Um, so there's three strains of influenza that they're vaccinated against. Yeah, so we've been fighting them for a long time. So remember that when we did the guessing game the other day, where I was reading out different things like Black Death and smallpox oh, yeah. and uh, Spanish flu, but humans have survived. Yeah. And our medical knowledge and everything's so much better now. So hopefully, nothing like that will ever happen again. Mm-hmm. But it's about being vigilant. Um, So just remember, you've got to be sensible, Mm -hmm. particularly to vulnerable groups. So with coronavirus, it's older people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then not being able to do what you want for a week or two because you're isolated. I mean, is that actually a big deal or a problem? Yeah. 
No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, no. No. Also, um... Get away, Major Mike. Um... The schools... Well, my school's probably shutting down next week. <laughs> Who knows? We've got, like, this class... Yeah, it's class dojo. They're going to be doing a school base uh, off that. Oh, um, you mean remotely? Yeah, remotely. Yeah. And then uh, there's, like video things and stuff um, um, that we can do mm -hmm. as well so we, I'm still unfortunately going to be doing some school work no no but that's what I was going to say I mean if people are self-isolating for a little bit um, then actually maybe they should go read a book or something or learn about something don't just sit on social media all the time listening to all the panic or fear I mean, go learn something new. Yeah. Discover something. I mean, this is the best opportunity you've got. Go do something you've always wanted to know about and come out as a better person. Yeah, um, yeah so how do you feel about viruses now? Um, I feel... I wasn't really scared or anything in the first mm. place, but I feel, like, more controlled. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that... I'm amazed how much washing uh, your hands does, and I didn't actually know how soap works. I... Um, or if I'm feeling s sick or something, I'd always imagine, like, white blood cells, so, like, fighting things mm -hmm. if I was sick, um, fighting against, um... Infection? Yeah, or something. And then they'd have, like, little puny guns, and then it'd go bang, 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 <laughs> bang, bang. Thanks for listening. There's no special Anton features, we said. Um, and maybe it's a little bit quiet at the start because you were... Chilling out, weren't you? Yeah. I think you're feeling not too bad now, though. Yeah, cuddled up in my blanket. Nice and warm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. I hope it was interesting. And remember, if you are infected or know somebody is or with anything, just be sensible. Yeah, just be over. Soonish, by the summertime. Actually, that depends where you are in the world. Yeah, well, most of it's out of our control, but do what you can. I mean, yeah. it's... Just go read a book. Okay. Or listen to our back catalogue. Wink, wink. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And we'll catch you again. And we're going to do something a bit more, um, a, a bit lighter for the next episode, I think. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, so goodbye and thank you for listening. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you.